If you think about your Christian life, you say, well, you know, Jesus saved me. Here's a, here's a visual for you. Think like, you know, what I think back, uh, let's as a young Christian, it was, it was as if he took my hand and we, had, we were able to wade through this little stream together, right? And uh, he held my hand and we crossed this stream. It was ankle deep. And we, you know, uh, we just walked to their side and that was my salvation. And it was really sweet because Jesus helped me across the river. And then you grow in Christ and you look back and you say, wait a second, that was no little stream. That was like a real raging river. Jesus didn't help me wait across, like wait and walk through, through the river. He carried me across this river. And in other words, you're, the way you look back at your salvation changes because you say, it wasn't some little stream, it was a raging torrent. Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bryan. This is a podcast containing content of people whose lives are addicted to the gospel of Jesus. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that the everlasting, ever-increasing joy of the never-boring, ever-satisfying Christ is ours freely and eternally by faith in the sin-forgiving death and the hope-giving resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. My name is Greg Bryan, and I am a gospel addict. And here's what I mean by that. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, he understood what it means to be a gospel addict by saying that the only thing that he wanted to boast about was the cross of Jesus. He understood that the gospel, the good news about Jesus is the best news ever. And it's the gospel that not only brings us to God, but it's the key to our spiritual growth. So we'll spend the rest of our lives exploring the depths of God's grace and our understanding of the cross should grow bigger and bigger causing us to live our Christian life out of gratitude, not fear or pride. So tonight, once again, I'm joined by my good friend, Jim Reske. Jim, how are you doing? Hey, Craig, how are you doing? I am doing good because I'm excited about tonight's show. We're going to talk about the, the topic is scale. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds kind of weird when you first hear it. What does that mean? What are we talking about? But before we dive in, I have a couple of things I want to share with you, Jim. Sure. Did you know that we have listeners now in 22 different countries around the world. You're kidding. No. Of course, the United States, Australia, Canada, Brazil, France, Germany, Sweden, Switzerland, United Kingdom, Italy, Ireland, India, Tanzania, Poland, Trinidad, Austria, Ghana, Argentina, Russia, Puerto Rico, Philippines, and even China. Our message is spreading around the world. How cool is that? That's fantastic. It's like Acts 1 verse 8, right? Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth, right? It's just amazing what, what you can do with the internet. And it's nice to be able to share some good news uh, with people and use the internet for, for good, you know, not, right. not bad purposes. Before we dive in, I have a segment that I'm calling Sticky Jokes and Sticky Quotes. I got a couple jokes for you. Are you ready? Hit me. All right. First one is this. And the Lord said to John, come forth and receive eternal life. But John came in fifth. And so all he got was a toaster. <laughs> come forth 
and receive eternal life. So all he had to do was come forth. He only had to come in fourth, but he came fifth. And all he got is a toaster. That's right. So it's either eternal. It's amazing to me that the runner up prize to eternal life is toast. A toaster. A toaster. Well, you can make toast with that. You can make consolation prize. Okay. So here's my second joke. Parallel lines have so much in common. It's a shame they'll never meet. It's a shame. (laughs) It's (laughs) yes. It's a, it's a darn shame. That sounds like a, like fourth or fifth grade geometry yeah teacher well, kind of joke hey you know a joke's a joke right if jokes, it makes you hey, laugh jokes, that's what that's what so counts. two more two more quick jokes here's another one i threw a boomerang a few years ago now i live in constant fear <laughs> okay that's pretty good all right and then this one is that, that's for our uh, that's for our australian listeners right that's right yeah, yeah, for them. Yeah, and actually, they're one of the largest audiences we have. So there you go. We got to have more Australian jokes. We will have to work on that. All right, last one, and this is actually a joke from Stephen Wright. Oh, I like. Yeah, he said the early bird gets the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. <laughs> I don't know if I get it. The early bird gets. What the happens worm. to the first mouse? The, the first, first mouse, mouse gets, oh, gets caught the, the first trap. mouse gets caught in the trap. The second mouse gets the cheese. The second mouse gets the cheese. Ah, good thinking. So if you're a smart mouse, you like to let the other mouse wake up early. Actually, I have a bonus joke for you. This is right. from, uh, you remember those deep thoughts by Jack Handy? I used to love those deep thoughts by Jack Handy. Yeah, well, here's one he said. He said, to me, it's a good idea always to carry two sacks of something when you walk around. That way, if anyone says, hey, can you give me a hand? You can say, sorry, got these sacks. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is the kind of thing he would say. Yep, yep. Sorry. All right, so um, now to some quotes. Okay. Um, do you know who said this? A thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. Mm, Moody. No, it no. was a president. Really? Theodore Roosevelt. No kidding. Theodore Roosevelt said a thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. No kidding. Wow. It's a great quote. That's a great quote, isn't it? And here's another one. Tell me who said this. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Mm, I like that. I like that. To be a Christian means you to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in, in you. That yeah. was a C.S. C.S. Lewis wrote that. Oh, wow. Isn't that a good one? That's we're going to be talking about one of those passages that talks about forgiveness. So I thought that was appropriate. We've been talking about words that sum up the gospel. And so far, we've covered splitness, standing, substitution and sequence. The last one we're going to talk about tonight is scale. Mm hmm. And so um, I think you, you had some comments you wanted to make that came to your mind from our last podcast. Why don't we start with that? Then we'll dive into the topic of scale. That sounds great, Greg. Thanks. And I'm super excited about scale because I think, I think it just might be my favorite S. I'm not sure. You know, they're all good, but I just love talking about scale. But before we get to scale, in our last podcast or one of our recent podcasts, we started talking about Jonah. And there was some other, something else about Jonah that I was trying to think of, and but it didn't come to mind at the time we were doing the podcast. So I want to go back and revisit it. 
And I looked it up and I found it. So I just want to spend a second on it now, if we can. So what we've been doing is we've been doing these podcasts together uh, is talking about this illustration, this whole uh, gospel illustration. And it's really all, it's an illustrating a whole paradigm shift from a single line to a double line. And if, if people have been listening to this for a while now, they've heard it a couple of times. So uh, we don't want to belabor the point or go on too long. And people can go back and get it in detail. But if this is if this is your first time listening to the podcast, I'll just do review it really quickly. And I understand it's audio, so it's hard to do an illustration, but bear with me. It's pretty simple. It's a simple graph, and it's a simple way of understanding your Christian life. So if you think of a typical graph where you have time on the horizontal axis and holiness on the vertical axis, you could conceptualize your Christian life as a diagonal line at a 45-degree angle that starts where the two lines meet. And you could say right at that moment when you accept Christ, you could put a little cross right there at the base of the line. And then the rest of your Christian life is up and to the right, a constant progression of going up and to the right. You got to become a better and better Christian. And then a lot of the way you think about the Christian life is what do I need to do to improve my spiritual performance, to be a better Christian? That's one way of looking at the Christian life. That's a paradigm for seeing your Christian life. But what we've been saying is the better way to see the Christian life, the more biblical way, is with two lines instead of one. That was the first test. That was splitness two lines instead of one. And so you take the same scale, uh, time and holiness, and start your line, say, halfway up the vertical line. It's easier to draw that way. And you'd have an upward sloping line, but that's not that line does not represent your improving performance, but it represents your imp- increasing awareness of God's holiness. And then you have a, lot, a diagonal line, starts at the same point, it starts going down, and it represents your increasing awareness of your own sinful nature, your own sin. And in between the lines, uh, early on in your Christian life, right at the start of the Christian life, you saw a gap between his holiness and your sin, and there's a cross in between those two lines, because Jesus filled the gap. You knew that you needed some help to fill that gap, but at the the start of your Christian life, the gap is very small, and it's a small gap, and there's a small little cross there bridging the gap between the two lines. But as you mature in the Christian life, the two lines get wider and wider apart, which is what we'll talk about tonight. And the cross gets even bigger because the cross filled that up. And if you go even further and become more mature in your Christian life, the gap gets wider and wider and wider. And you're more, even more aware of your own sinfulness and more aware of his holiness. And the cross that fills that gap gets larger and larger and larger. Now, the reality was his holiness was always a billion miles up and your sinful nature was always a billion miles down. But the beauty of this illustration is that the Christian life is conceptualized as a progression of awareness. Oh, and then let's not forget there's one more line in the chart. It's a dotted line. I draw it on top, usually parallel to the upper line, but it's dotted. And that represents your your actual changed life, the changes that happen in your life in proper sequence, which you talked about before. As as you get the gospel, it's deep in your life. You're more filled with gratitude for your salvation and your life really does start to change. Now, The Jonah part that I neglected to mention last time, so thanks for giving a minute to go back to it, was when Jonah, the prophet in the Old Testament, is sent to go preach to a city called Nineveh. And a lot of people might have heard the story because it's a famous story because Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. He hates those people. He doesn't want to go to them. So he buys a ticket to go the opposite direction as far as he can. And in the story, he's swallowed by a large fish and the fish spits him up on land. So God, you know, sends a fish to swallow him up after he's thrown overboard in a dramatic scene. And then he goes to Nineveh. 
That's not the part I want to talk about tonight, though. The part I want to talk about is that when he gets to Nineveh, he's really, he goes, does go in and he says in 90 days or some amount of time, I think it's 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. And they all repent and they're all saved. And, and Jonah's really mad about it because he doesn't want those people to be saved. He doesn't like those people. And this is the point I wanted to make. God starts to say to him, look, um, should I not care about that great city? in which are what? And if you think, what is God going to say next? I should I not care about that created city in which are what? You know, all these evil, wicked people that need to be saved, all these lost people that need to hear a really good gospel message, all these people that really need to clean up their act because I'm irritated by their sin and they've got to stop this. And, and they've got to, and God doesn't say any of that. He says, in that city, should I not love that great city in which there are, I think it's 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left. And what God is saying is that their primary problem is a problem of awareness. Their primary problem is one of lack of understanding. They don't know. They don't know. And he said, Jonah, what I want to do is send you there because they don't know. They, they, they re, what they really need is awareness. And I love that because I think it fits in with this illustration which basically says the, the ba your basic problem in the Christian life is a lack of awareness. And with the way you're going to grow in your life is a progression of increasing awareness over time. And then the spiritual performance will come after that. Your focus is always on Jesus, the cross, and what he did for you, becoming more and more aware of that by a deeper awareness of your own sin, a deeper awareness of his holiness. And your gratitude for that overflows and your life changes. It's not a focus on you, an endless focus on you and your spiritual performance. Anyway, thanks for letting me go back and revisit Jonah. Just, I would just, it's an important part. I just want to get it across. Well, thanks for sharing that, Jim. That was excellent. I'm glad we included that. So tonight we're going to talk about the topic of scale. And um, just to get us started, you wrote in your draft of your book about reading the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm going to share that and how that ties in with scale. Yeah, I'll share it. Although it's, it's um, maybe it's a little bit like your jokes, Rick. I've shared this story and people generally, I, I think it's hilarious. I remember reading it when I was a, a kid and I, I just broke down in laughter. I, I fell over laughing, but every time I retell it, no one ever laughs. So it's um, maybe it's my, my joke for the day, but the, this, the passage in the book, which I thought was just hysterical was where um, there was a scene in which he's describing a uh, one galaxy and they were really really mad at this other galaxy and so they mounted an entire invasion fleet to go invade the other galaxy and they were going to launch war against this other galaxy and then it, it, and, and then the, the writer says but then in a gross miscalculation of scale the entire kaizen invasion fleet or whatever they were called got to the other galaxy and was swallowed by a small dog <laughs> I love that. I love that. I thought it was hysterical. Like, you know, they're looking through a telescope to the other galaxy and ready to rage war. And I don't know what they, I forget the names it was called or whatever. I just go back and look. I but think it's funny. And they're swallowed in a gross miscalculation of scale. The entire invasion fleet was swallowed by a small. Yes, they couldn't get scale right. So that I, I love that because I think it's, that is the problem in our Christian life. We, we have a huge problem with scale. We can't get scale right. Uh, and our sense of scale in the Christian life is, way 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 off let's dive into some scripture that you think illustrates this so the first passage is in matthew chapter 7 
verses three to five. I'll go ahead and read it. Go ahead. Jesus said this, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Yeah. And Jesus uses these words very carefully. Like in some um, some versions, it says plank. Other versions, it says log. There's a log in your eye and there's a speck in the other eye. And he could have just said, you know, look, you know, you've got problems. They've got problems. You've got it. He, he's got a speck, but you've got your specs too. So come on, everyone get along because we've all got specs after all. But he doesn't. He says, look, the way you're perceiving this is all wrong. Your sense of scale is off. You see the speck in their eye, but it's like a speck. It's easy to point out people's problems. They got this wrong and that wrong. That wrong. He doesn't say you've got specs too. You've got a log. Your problem is not just you're not aware of your own problems. Your problem is your sense of scale is off. You, by many orders of magnitude. When I heard this passage as a young Christian, I used to picture a guy with like a a 10 foot two by four sticking out of his eye, walking right. around and turning and like, he can't go through door. You know, he can't. Yeah. Yeah. Can't walk around. Cause he's got this plank in his eye. And he's out and he's pointing out little specks or splinters in other people's eyes. And it makes you wonder whether, I wonder if people laughed at that. You know, we were talking about, you know, people don't laugh when you read that, when you talk about that story, I wonder if the disciples laughed when Jesus yeah. shared this story. Well, if they had the visual you have with the big plank sticking out of their eye, right? Yeah, you know, it's like, you know. So you're saying the difference between the log and the speck is size. The size. And what you, I think what Jesus is trying to communicate is not they've got sin, you've got sin. But part of your problem is your, your perception. Your sense of scale is off. But let me make this a little more crisp and a little more clear for the, for the listeners. We talked about the illustration, the two lines that are diverging, the cross getting bigger and bigger and filling it. The, to, to keep the, 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 the problem of scale in the context of that illustration is that uh, our problem is that um, we bring the lines closer together. In other words, we, under, we consistently underestimate his holiness and they consistently underestimate our own sin. Because if the lines diverge the way they should as you grow and mature in a Christian life, you have a deeper understanding of your sin and a deeper understanding of his holiness, the lines will get wider and wider and wider over time. And the cross gets bigger and bigger. And that's the proper sense of scale, right? And that's why in Romans 7, Paul is coming out, you know, Paul, the most mature Christian, one of the most mature Christians ever, is saying, I never do what I think I should be doing. I'm always doing the wrong thing. He's, he's very much in touch with reality. He has a great sense of scale. But then he, that's in the end of Romans 7. And then in Romans 8, verse 1, he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God's wiped it all away. And he's got, uh, he's got a proper and growing sense of scale, right? His lines are miles apart. They're diverging, right? And that's, but for most of us, we don't, we, you know, we're, we're on this progression of course for Christian life. And the, the more you underestimate your sin problem and, and you underestimate his holiness and you're, the two lines for, you know, kind of converge together and the cross gets smaller and smaller. And you say to the people, I remember, you know, talk to people, you know, you know, Greg, you've been in the Christian ministry for most of your adult life. You know, you talk to people, are you grateful for your salvation? Oh, yeah, sure. Are you, you know, are you happy you saved? Oh, yeah, Jesus, Jesus saved me. That's nice. 
no big deal. Like it's no big deal. And, and that their lines are converging closer and closer together. Right. So, so one that, of the things you're pointing out here is that when Paul wrote Romans seven, he's talking about his struggle as a believer, as a very mature Christian. There are some people that will say that Romans seven, he's, when he says all that, that he's just referring to his life before Christ. But I think it's, that's a very hard argument to make in, yeah. in light of the context. The context seems it's very clear because he also says in, I think, Timothy, he calls himself the chief of sinners. That's right. That's so right. He was very in touch with his sin. And that's why he said at the beginning of this podcast, I shared the verse in Galatians six fourteen. He said, the only thing I can boast about is the cross. Right. Right. And that ties in with Romans 8, 1, that there was no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He knew it was only because of the cross. Yeah. So now think about if you're a Christian leader and you're thinking, how do I spur my followers, my flock, or, or you're just leading a Bible study at young, young Christians. I want them to grow in Christ, be stronger Christians, right? How do you do it? How do you spur them on? How do you get them to grow in Christ and be stronger Christians? What do you do? And if you had the single line paradigm, you think the point of this Christian life is spiritual performance. So you're going to use things like, you know, pride. Don't you want to, don't you want to be a great Christian or to be a strong Christian? You know, fear. you don't want to be a bad Christian, right? Yeah. Or guilt. Oh yeah. Or guilt, right? Guilt. Hey, you know, I don't know how many times you walk away from hearing a, a message and you feel guilty. Right. Like, like you're oh, not man. doing good enough. You're not performing well enough. And uh, come on, come on. I'm, and that's, you know, if you're a spiritual leader and you've got this single line paradigm, you think, you know, if it was, if it was a scale of one to 10, these people are all three, twos and threes. I've got to try to get them to be fours and fives. Right. You know, and let's just, so gotta, let's just, let's just say like, this is why this is so important. And this is why we're doing this podcast is because so many people bail on the Christian life. That's right. Because all they feel is fear, guilt, or pride. That's right they don't understand. They don't understand what it means, what gospel driven sanctification is and how it it's the key to really spiritual growth. So let's move on to a second passage that you mentioned in your manuscript, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Do you want to read that? No, I, well, I don't have it in front of me. Do you have it? Oh, you don't have it. Okay. Let's see. I can look it up. Sure. Matthew 18. Do you have anything you want to share while I'm doing that? Is this the 70 times seven? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is the, uh, well, if you're, if you're looking up, this is the passage where um, I think it's Peter who comes up or one of the disciples who says, uh, how many times should I forgive my brother if he sins against me up to seven times? Is that the one, Greg? Yes. Yeah. So here it is. Uh, Matthew chapter 18. Verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Mm -hmm. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Right. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Then the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. 
But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant. He said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Such a great story, Greg. It's such a great story. And Jesus is trying to just get across to us how deep our, our problem, our scale problem really is. And I think I wrote about this in the, in the, in the draft, but before we start, it's, I don't want to be too hard on Peter because he is suggesting, you know, how many times should I forgive someone who sins against me up to seven times, which I think is actually kind of generous, right? Because if I, and this is the example I wrote about, but if I loan you my car and you crack it up, you get an accident. Oh, Jim, I told your car, sorry. Okay. And then I get a new car and you say, okay, borrow your car keys. I said, okay, remember last time though, you wrecked my car. Yeah, I won't do it again. I give you the key. Boom, you wrecked the car again. Oh, that's horrible. Okay. And then I get a new car. And the third time you come back, hey, can I borrow your car? Uh, I am, there's no way I'm giving my car again. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, uh, we we have this old saying, fool me once, fool me twice. You know, I'm not going to get fooled again. I'm not going to do it. And if someone said, you you wrecked six cars in a row, should I give you the seventh car? Should I give you the seventh car, the new time, the seventh time, my new car, the seventh time? Uh, everyone on the earth would say, you're crazy if you give that guy the keys again. No way. So Peter's being generous. He's saying, you know, up to maybe up to seven times I could forgive somebody. And Jesus just blows him out of the water and says, not 70, 70 times seven. And that story in the, in the Bible, the you know, monetary values are always hard in biblical times to translate to current times. But I read some commentaries on that story that said, in the, in the, the, the first the guy who's forgiven the debt, the debt... Um, what is it was in your version you just read like 10,000 bags of gold it's supposed to be enough to like like be about equal to half the wealth of the kingdom in other words enough to really cripple the kingdom so uh if if the guy's saying to the king i i know you gave me like half the kingdom's wealth and i can't pay it back it's gone and it's gonna like it's almost gonna cripple the entire kingdom the king is so generous to forgive that person and then the other debt is like 20 bucks. You know, some guy owes me 20 bucks and, or a dollar and no. And, 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 and you say, try to say, look, when you guys are, when you're unforgiving, when you're it's like the spec store, you point out the specs in other people's eyes or you're unforgiving. You got to understand your sense of scale is so, 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 so far off. You have no idea how much the he- your heavenly father has forgiven you. Right. As we said in this illustration, the genuine line is a, of God's holiness is a billion miles up and your genuine line of your sin is a billion miles down. You're just not aware of it, right? The crazy part about this story is that the servant was aware of how much he was forgiven by the master. Right. Before, right. Bef- right. before he runs into the other guy that owed him 20 bucks. But he didn't. He was but told, he didn't make the he connection. Was, right. That's right. He didn't connect it. 
So you, you can be told sense. you have been saved. So there's a huge question of the Christian life. You say you're saved and someone says, oh, yeah, that's nice. I'm saved. A kind of humdrum. So that's very uh, fantastic. I'm saved. And literally a non-Christian you talk to will joke about it, right? Oh, yeah, I got to get saved. You know, thanks for saving me, right? But if you're a Christian, you're growing in Christ, you got to think, saved from what? Saved from what? What was my destiny, right? And and the the incredible scale of what you've been saved from. But you, that's a great insight, Greg. And I hadn't thought about that. That guy, I'm going to, he's told right here. He knows. He, he's the one who goes to the king. I can't pay you this back. He, sh- by, he should have been totally aware of the discrepancy between what he'd been forgiven of and what the other guy owed him. But he didn't act like it. It wasn't really connecting in his life. It wasn't real. I mean, his experience, his experience should have changed his life. Right. You know, right. and that makes me think of that C.S. Lewis quote that I shared earlier. To be a Christian means to forgive the unexcu- inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Right. I think that tie- relates to what we're talking about here. That's a powerful story. But how does that relate to... Because I think it, there is a re- it does relate to so many Christians in the world that when they say they can't forgive somebody, right? If if you're a Christian, there should be nothing you can't forgive. If you're, yeah. If your if your sense of scale starts to get into uh, it starts to become a proper sense of scale. If you start to get a proper sense of scale. And you realize what you've been forgiven from. Forgiveness should come really easy to you. You should find yourself. I mean, how many times have you heard Christians say, "Well, I've got a, I've got, I'm angry at this person, but I've, it's a righteous anger. It's a righteous yeah. anger because they, they're, they really wronged me, you know. And I, I, I have every right to be angry." I remember I heard Tim Keller once. This was um, in the Q and A after church once, kind of uh, not in one of his sermons that was published anywhere, but just in Q and A he would do after the service with anybody. Someone was making this point. I've got this righteous anger against my roommate. And Tim said, yeah, you know, you're going to have a righteous anger maybe three or four times in your entire life. You're almost never have a righteous anger, right? Um, but if you often feel like you do, and if you have a hard time forgiving people, it's probably because you don't have the proper sense of scale. You have, don't have an idea of how much you've been forgiven of. And you're taking that lower line illustration, you're bending it up. You're bending it up towards parallel, towards horizontal. And it's just n- not that real to you. Do you think that a lot of Christians have deceived themselves to think that they're better than they, than they really are? They're, they're doing well. Like, like, for example, if they're on the single line illustration, which is, let's say it's a scale of one to 10, they, they say they're a six or a seven. And so if they're a six or a seven, then average. Yeah. They're better than average. They're better than average. Lord knows I'm not perfect. Lord knows I need some help to get to the top, but I'm, you know, I must say I've done a lot of things in my life and I'm better than the average person, right? And do you think that this guy in this story, that's part of his problem is that he was, he could, he was, he couldn't connect uh, the reality of how much he was forgiven with, you know, his personal issue with this other person that owed him $20. Well, you, you, you said the word reality, and that's really important because the, and that's the beauty of this whole illustration, Greg, is that when you think about the Christian life as a progression of awareness, what, you, what, you're, what we're saying is that your whole Christian life is getting more and more in touch with reality. 
And if you're not doing it, you're just living in denial of reality because the reality is God's holiness is a billion miles up and your, your sin is a billion miles down. That is the reality. And if you're not, you, you can deny it. You can live as if it's not true. You can, you can take those two lines and converge them together, but you're out of touch with reality. And C.S. Lewis makes this point. I don't know where and what writing of his, but he makes this point about the Christian life is all about getting more and more in touch with reality spiritual reality and bringing and when you bring your life in line and in harmony with spiritual reality that's when you start to get real peace that's when you start to say yes and you're agreeing with the lord instead of always kicking against him okay the final story that we should mention regarding scale is the story of the rich young ruler oh yeah yeah how do we see that his his uh, concept of scale is off. Well, we'll just do, it's a Matthew 19, but we'll just reiterate it briefly here instead of going to it. But it's uh, basically a, a guy who comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What is like the question of every religion, right? What I got to do? Just tell me and I'll do it. And Jesus says, well, okay, keep the commandments. And um, because if you could keep them perfectly, you would inherit eternal life if you were perfect, right? And the guy's response is just classic. He says, yeah, I've done all that. I've, I've done all that. I've, uh, I've kept them all. Uh, and, but, and Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. And he says, yeah, Odell, there is one thing you lack. Sell it. Sell it. Sell it all. Everything you have. Sell it all and follow me. And the Bible says the, the rich young ruler walks away sad because he had many possessions. Now, people I know who are in the single line, they're in the single line, paradigm for christianity they will read that story and say is god trying to tell me to sell all my possessions is that the rule is that what i'm supposed to do he said that's what he says to the that's what jesus says to the guy he says sell everything and follow me maybe christians are supposed to sell everything maybe maybe that's the rule that's what i should be doing but if you read the story that way which is the way you would read it in the single line paradigm you are reading the story of the rich young ruler exactly the way the rich young ruler would read his own story because he would say, what do I got to do? What do? Tell me the rules and I'll do them. Oh, is it sell, sell everything? Well, that's another rule. Mm, I don't know about that one, but thanks for telling me the rule. Now I know and I can work on that. That's the way you approach the Christian life. What Jesus was trying to say is, you think you've got all this sin conquered. You think you've been keeping all the commandments since you were a young child. You think you're, you think you're a 9.9 out of 10. You have such a massive sin problem. You have such a huge plank in your eye, you're, and you are completely unaware of it. You do, you acting like it's not there at all, and it's like it's obvious. Your money is your entire life. You're building, you're wrapping your identity around this. That's why, for you in particular, you have to get rid of this. You have made a complete idol of that money. You wrapped your life around it, and you, your sin problem is off the charts. But the guy doesn't come to awareness. He walks away. He walks away. It's not, it's not a story with a happy ending, but, but it is a story that we can learn from because it says, you know, you can, you can fool yourself in thinking that you're, you're just a fine person. You're a decent person. Maybe you're a 9.9, maybe you're an eight, maybe you're a six, but you're better than most. Right. And, and Jesus can cut right to the heart of the matter and say, if you are really honest with yourself and you think about what you're wrapping your life around, you've got to understand your sin problem and how massive it really is. Why do you think so many Christians seem to be so ungrateful? I think it's, it's the, it's when you bring these two lines together. So the cross 
is is still filling the gap, but it gets it's it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And and not to be too personal, but I know you know like people that have you know been Christians for a long time, and they said you know I'm just tired of feeling guilty, and always talking about sin, all that stuff, and I'm not that bad. You know they feel like the rich young ruler. I kept all these commandments. I've been a decent person. I haven't killed anybody. I'm, I'm decent. They're always talking about sin. And they just can bring the lines together, 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 where they say, you know, they just get, they, they come together and they say, you know, I don't, I don't really need it. I don't really need it. Um, I can just, when the lines come together and touch, the cross kind of disappears. You say, I don't need it anymore. I'm not, I don't need anything to be saved from. There's a great verse in Hebrews, Greg, um, I think it's Hebrews 3, that says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It is a great salvation. What we're really safe from is huge, and but if you if you, you can ease, you can you can diminish your sense of scale, you can bring the lines together, and then you say, you know, it's not that big of a deal to just walk away. Oh, but we've been talking about the lower line this whole time. We got to talk about the upper line um, because we can diminish that too, and not and because the, the the sense of scale comes when you underestimate your sin problem. And we've been talking about that. But you can completely underestimate his holiness as well. And the way, the way I've seen this, you may have your own uh, stories, but the way I've seen this is people like set up little rules for themselves. You know, if I just, you know, if I just make sure that I pray before every meal, you know, if I just make sure that I have a, a devotion uh, every day, if I just do this and I do that, then I know I'm a good Christian. If, if I practice the spiritual disciplines and I know God is pleased with me. Yeah. And he will bless me. Right. And you just, you set up little rules for yourself and little, God's, God's righteousness is like a mountain, but we do is set up little molehills. Like I will do this every day, you know, and then I jump over my little hill and I say, there, I did it. And I've completely taken that upper line and brought it down to something that is achievable in my flesh. When reality, I mean, God's holiness is, it's like not just Mount Everest, it's, it goes beyond that. That's why when people come in contact with God and his holiness, they fall on their faces. They, you know, they, right. they, they're like, uh, they act as if they're dead because it's, it's so overwhelming. That's a really good point. Is there anything else you want to talk about related to scale? Cause I think we've done a good job kind of covering it. Yeah. I'll give you one last thought on this. And this was, um, kind of a, a, a try, trying to make these things visual and think about these things uh, and, and visualize them. I think about like when I was uh, the places that I was at when I was a kid that seemed really huge in my memory. They're different now when you go back and your memory of it is just different. And anyone who's, you know, done this was, I mean, you're adult, you go back. Like there was this one courtyard I played in when I was a kid. I thought it was the size of a basketball court. We ran around, ran and ran and ran. I was like, huge. I went back and then, and come to find out when I went back as an adult, it was like six feet by six feet or something. It's like tiny. It's like a postage stamp. But my memory was so different. And I think if you think about your Christian life, you say, well, you know, Jesus saved me. Here's a, here's a visual for you. Think like, you know, what I think back uh, as a young Christian, it was, it was as if he took my hand and we had, we were able to wade through this little stream together. Right. And uh, he held my hand and we crossed this stream. It was ankle deep. And we, you know, uh, we just walked to their side and that was my salvation. And it was really sweet because Jesus helped me across the river. And you grow in Christ and you look back and you say, wait a second, that was no little stream. 
that was like a real raging river. Jesus didn't help me wait across, like wait to walk through through the river. He carried me across this river. And in other words, your the way you look back at your salvation changes because you say it wasn't some little stream; it was a raging torrent. And you go further in the Christian life, you say, "Wait a second, wait a second. It was not just some raging river; it was like the rapids before some waterfall, right?" And I wasn't just wading across with Jesus; I was always over the edge, tumbling towards the rock. And Jesus wasn't just holding my hand and walking through some stream; he was. He was like on a high tower at the water's edge. He didn't have to come down and help me at all. And he dove down and right before I hit the rocks, he grabs me and pulls me back to safety. In other words, your memory of it, your conceptualization of your salvation changes as you, if you mature in Christ. And it can go on even beyond that, but you get the idea. It's like when I, when I first got saved, it was, it was a nice salvation. You, you grow in Christ, you say, how shall I escape if I neglect such a great salvation? It, was a great, it wasn't a little thing. It was huge. And then hopefully as you grow in Christ, it gets even bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's scale. And that will drive gratitude and that will change your life. Thank you so much, Jim, for sharing your thoughts. Thank you to everyone who's listening. Encourage you to continue to listen to the Gospel Addict podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please uh, do that. We would be blessed and we look forward to publishing future episodes. So thank you very much. Thanks, Craig.